Hi, I'm your guest preacher today. I am not Ricky. I'm Ricky's dad. Ricky is at home. Uh, by the grace of God and the providence of God, I was actually scheduled to preach today and not Ricky. Ricky uh, started having some stomach issues, stomach bug yesterday, so pray for him as you think about him uh, this morning. So Happy New Year. Welcome to 2023. We are one day, one year closer to our Lord's return. Amen, yeah. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever gone to a wedding or a party or some kind of event, or a reception, and you didn't read the fine print of how you were supposed to dress? Perhaps you were like me. I went to a 30-year class reunion, and I just thought, well, you know, it's it's just going to be casual, and it was at this nice club called the Lancers Club on um, the west side of this Coronado Tower building. So I went upstairs uh, with my lovely wife, Kim, uh, who's sitting right over there. Say hi, Kim. <laughs> and, um, you know, walked in there, expecting everyone is going to be dressed like me, shockingly seeing everyone dressed up in coats and ties. Not a good moment, right? You feel a little embarrassed, like, Joe, what's wrong with you? Uh, can't you, don't you have a coat? Don't you have a tie? No, I'm sorry, I just didn't get the memo. So I was a little bit embarrassed, but I enjoyed it anyway. Now, this is what Ephesians 4, 25 through 32 is talking about. If you are in Christ, his word says this in Isaiah 61, 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation, for he has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Wonderful, beautiful picture. In the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it describes Jesus like this. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I mean, that is one of my favorite scripture promises of this, this great exchange that we have if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ. Jesus says, I'm taking your sin, I'm paying the debt, and I'm giving you my righteousness. And it's all by grace. Our righteous acts are filthy rags. Isaiah 64 says this, all our righteous acts are like filthy garments. So here's the question, you want to walk in your righteousness, or do you want to receive Jesus' righteousness. I remember uh, in my former career, I was a uh, customs broker, so I would process sometimes cattle that was coming from Juarez, Mexico. So these cattle would be loaded up in trucks, about 100 head of cattle to a truck, and one night we had about 2,500 head of cattle, which means these trucks, there was only 10 trucks, so they had to come, take off, you know, the cattle, we'd have to weigh them. I was there with a the customs inspector and the guy that worked in the cattle yard. And then they would go back, pick up another round of cattle, go back a third time. 
And so by the time they did this the third time, I mean, it's like 3.30 in the morning. I've been there since 5.30. I'm dead tired. The guy from the Cali Art is supposed to help us. He is asleep. And guess what? There's one head of cattle in that last truck, and he doesn't want to get out. What do I do? I thought, man, I, I got to go home. I'm just, I'm tired. So what did I do? I did something not very smart. I walked into the cattle truck and just, you know, you can imagine what that cattle truck was like after three rounds of cattle in it, right? And I'm in there and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to push that, you know, 400 pound head of cattle. I'm trying to kick it. I'm just trying to prod it. And of course, what happens? I slip and fall in the cattle truck, and now I am covered with the cattle stuff. I mean, it was horrible. It was horrible. Finally, I think the head of cattle looked at me and felt sorry for me and got up and walked out. So finally, I finished. I got home, and I thought, I mean, I can't go in the house with my clothes like this. I mean, I'm, you know, it's just... I'm going to smell bad and look bad. It's all over me. And I thought, okay, I know what I'll do. I'll take off my clothes, and I'll just leave them here on the porch. And then, of course, I thought, well, that's probably not a good idea either. <laughs> so I thought, I know what I need to do. I need to get these, these dirty clothes, which are now polluted, which are now filthy, which cannot be used again, and I'm going to just go put them and take them and put them in the trash. So in a sense, that's what we want to do today. We want to take off our filthy garments of our own righteousness and put them in the trash. This message today, it's a, continue of a, a continuation of a message Ricky preached and will be a means of grace to help us put on these new clothes that the Lord has given us. In a sense, as I said, we're going to take, talk about taking off our old, worn-out, dirty clothes and putting on new and wonderful clothes that will reflect what Jesus has done for us. Ephesians 4, 25 through 32 says this, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Father, this is such a rich a passage of Scripture and we desire, Lord, to hear your word from you and explained by you, Lord. So I pray, help me to do that. Help me to honor you. Help me to honor you, 
your name, Jesus, to lift you up. I pray that you would um, fill me with your spirit, empower me to do that. Pray for everyone here that your purpose would be fulfilled in each and every person that's here that knows you or perhaps does not know you yet. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this passage has one of the scriptures that my family memorized as our kids were growing up. Like all kids, or at least my kids, sometimes our children would get crossways with one another. Yes, Ricky and his siblings would get crossways with each other. I don't remember exactly what they would say, so I'm just going to make up some things that they might say to each other. <laughs> You're ugly, or you're fat, or you're mean. You probably never heard any of your kids say that to each other, but, but mine did. So what will we do? Try to help them by reminding them of truths in God's word. One of the scriptures that we all memorized was Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that may give grace to those who hear. So we would write it down, and we gave it to them, and we, we would repeat it at dinner over and over again until they finally they got it. They, 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 they knew Ephesians 4.29. So if Kim or I heard them say something unkind or mean to each other or to anyone else, we would just tell them, remember, Ephesians 4.29. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, Dad, all right, okay, Mom. So it got to the point that we just shortened it, and we would just say, 4.29. Yes, got it. Matter of fact, the other day, I was, we were having a family time with all our kids and, and grandkids, one of my daughters was there, and I just thought, I wonder if she still remembers it. And so, you know, she didn't say anything bad, but I just kind of looked at her and said, 429. And she looked back at me, and she goes, did I say something bad? <laughs> I said, no, no, I was just seeing if you remember. She goes, oh, yeah, no, I remember, Dad. I remember. So today, as we start this new year, we have an opportunity by the grace of God, to be reminded of what Christ-honoring behavior looks and acts like. Why is this important? Because if you are in Christ, you want to respond to his grace in saving you and bear fruit that comes from his presence in your life and makes you a witness of his grace to you. You want to wear the new clothes he has purchased for you, right? Look at me. I've got this nice new sweater that my wife bought for me. Doesn't it look good? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have picked it, but she's, she, I'm, I'm so thankful. Aren't you, guys, aren't you thankful for wives and, and daughters that know how to pick nice-looking clothes for you? I mean, otherwise, I would, who knows what I would look like? It would not be a pretty picture, but they help me. They, they buy me nice clothes. So we want to wear the new clothes that he's purchased for us. Ephesians 4, 20 through 24 says this, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. 
But first, we need to remember that this behavior does not save us, okay? We as Christians, we can always be tempted. Just tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. I want to know what to do. So I hope you're not tempted by that, but we're all tempted. Well, just tell me what to do, and I'll do it, and then I'll be a better Christian, or, that, or God will be happy with me, or God will save me. No, as Ricky communicated so well in his message in, on Ephesians 2, 1 through 9, we are saved by grace alone, through Christ alone, through faith alone, not by our righteousness. Why? Because our righteousness is it's filthy rags. We could never, ever, ever in a million years do enough righteous acts to merit salvation. So Paul, in this portion of his letter to the Ephesians, has already laid the foundation of grace to them. And now he's reminding them of how they should live out their salvation by grace. Remember, if you are a Christian here today, you are recipients of God's grace through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and that alone. What Jesus did for us, we could not do. He lived the perfect life, and with his death on the cross, paid our sin debt in full. You remember when he was on the cross and he said these words, It is finished. Paid in full. His resurrection confirms this, and now we're able to follow Jesus as his disciples because of his grace poured out on us. As Dr. Brian Chappell said so brilliantly when he was here earlier in the year, if you are in Christ, this applies. God can't love you anymore, and he can't love you any less. This truth sets us free of the requirements of the Old Testament law to try and earn our salvation and allows us to respond to what Jesus has done for us because we love him and we desire to glorify him through our faith now lived out, as Paul now instructs us. So Ephesians 4, 25 through 32 covers five areas of life where Paul contrasts our life before Christ, that's the putting off, and after being in Christ, that is the putting on. So again, we get those dirty clothes, we're putting them in the trash can, or we're burning them, and now we want to put on these new beautiful clothes of righteousness that Jesus has purchased for us. So number one, we must choose between truth or lies. Verse 25 says this, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Have you ever told a good lie, a really bad, bad lie? I mean, a lie like, like man, that's, gosh, I shouldn't have ever, I did that. When I was a freshman going to Jesuit high school, it was an all-boys school. It was my first day of school, and I had to catch the bus. So I caught the bus at 7 o'clock, and there's one bus driven by a priest. I still remember his name, Father Deves. He's six foot Six inches tall, pretty big guy, don't want to mess with Father Deeves. And he's driving the bus, so I get on the bus, and then a little bit later, my, my pal um, Sam Attal gets on the bus. So Sam's about twice as big as me. 
So I always like to have big friends around me. Because if you're in trouble, it's always nice to have a big friend to help you, right? So Sam is, is he's sitting in front of me, and as is my custom, I would kind of punch Sam in the back. And, you know, I, I don't know, I like to punch people. <laughs> and Bobby Wilkins, I don't see Bobby here. Bobby's, Bobby Wilkins has this very unique ministry for me. Bobby allows me to punch him on his, you know, on his arm as hard as I can. And it's just a way for me to kind of get some stress out, some aggression out. But the agreement is Bobby cannot punch me back. Because <laughs> if he did, <laughs> I would be in big trouble. So I'm, I'm punching Sam, tells me, stop it, stop it, or I'm going to punch you. And of course, I don't stop. What happens? He turns around and he punches me. At that moment, Father Deves sees Sam, this huge guy, punching me, the little guy, and he immediately pulls the bus over, screeching the tires, marches back, grabs Sam by his collar and his shirt and just lifts him up and just, boom, smacks him on his shoulder. And Sam's like, Father, that, that, that's my hurt shoulder from football. He goes, oh, I'm sorry, son. Boom, he hits him on the other shoulder. Is that better? And so, of course, Sam's like, now he's really, you know, upset. And he says, well, Father, Father, I, why are you hitting me? I didn't start it. He started it. You're saying he started it? This, this little guy started it? He goes, yes. And then, so here's Father Dave's. Okay, imagine. He's six foot six. I'm sitting in, the, you know, the, the bus <clears throat> in the chair. He looks down at me. Is that right, son? Did you start this? No, Father, I didn't. <laughs> Sam's like, he drops his mouth. As Father Deves is dragging him away to the front, he's like, I can't believe you lied to the priest. You are in such trouble. So he dragged him, put him in the front, and that's where he sat for the rest of the time. Of course, Finally, we got to school, we get off the bus, and Sam goes like, what is wrong with you, man? Why did you lie like that to the priest? I said, of course I'm going to lie to the priest. Do you see what, I saw what he did to you. I'm not going to let him smack me like that. I'd be dead. I'll take my chances with, you know, confession. So maybe you can relate. Telling a lie is something that you can do easily, and it's definitely something we could do like I did, naturally, before we are in Christ. We can tell lies for all kinds of reasons. So, but Paul is now reminding us, as followers of Jesus, we are to speak the truth with one another. For a Christian to keep telling lies would be like someone dressed in Hawaiian shorts at a very nice dress-up wedding. It wouldn't look right. In the same way, we are to act differently now that we are in Christ. He says that this is important because as Christians, we are members of one another. We're family, okay? We've got our family, our church family. We are part of each other. And so when we are speaking lies to each other, we're not doing what John Stott says. He says this, fellowship, fellowship is built on trust. And trust is built on truth. Falsehood undermines fellowship while truth strengthens it. 
So again, if you're, if you're in any kind of relationship, if you're husband and wife, you're members of a family, if you lie to each other, what are you doing? You're undermining your relationship. You're te- actually, you're tearing it down. You're destroying tr- the, the trust that you have built up. And so God is reminding us through this, this passage of Scripture, speak the truth, even when it hurts. Falsehood undermines fellowship while truth strengthens it. So you want to have a strong marriage? Speak the truth. You want to have a strong family with each other? Speak the truth to one another. If you're a a teenager, speak the truth with mom and mom. Dad, when mom and dad say, hey, what were you doing out till 1 o'clock in the morning? Oh, we were just at Denny's having a Bible study. When you're out at some party, just be honest. We are part of the same body, so telling a lie, in a sense, affects all of his body. Number two, sinful anger or righteous anger. Verse 26 says, be angry and do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So there are different kinds of anger. There is a righteous anger. Anger over injustice or over oppression of people like we see uh, all over the world of evil. Um, we should be angry at our own sin. We should be angry at, this, at, the, at abortion, which is murder of innocent babies. That's a righteous anger. And there is also anger that comes from not getting what we want. James 4, 1 through 3 says this, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So if you are getting angry all the time, ask yourself this question. What is it that I want right now that I'm not getting? What is it that I want right now that I'm not getting? What's causing me to be angry? What am I not getting? Is what I want a good and godly desire? Or is it a selfish desire? So, you know, one of the, one of the, the blessings of, of doing a message like this is you get tested on the truth you're going to communicate. Did you know that? That's what happens to preachers so it's, it's kind of let you in on the world of preachers. So this is what happens. So uh, welcome to my world today. I recently was tested on this as I had been, as I was preparing this message. I was with those I love the most, which is my family, and my children, grandchildren. And there was a moment where I responded in my heart in anger because I was not getting what I wanted. There was something that was happening. I didn't like it. I got upset about it. I had to take a few minutes and go to the other room because I just thought, I'm going to start saying things I'm going to regret. And I remember I went to our, our, our bedroom and then I went into the bathroom. And then my, my wife, because she's a godly woman, wants to help me. She came over and she talked to me and said, what is wrong with you? (laughs) You ever have that happen to you, husbands or wives? You know, you do something stupid 
and your, your spouse says, what is wrong with you? Because you don't want to hear what's wrong with you at that moment, do you? I know what's wrong with me. I'm an idiot. <laughs> but, of course, I was convicted because I'm already, I'm reading this passage, and I'm thinking, oh, great, I'm supposed to preach on this, and I'm doing this. It's like the Lord said, here, here's an opportunity for you to ask for forgiveness. Go humble yourself. Ask everybody to forgive you. So that, that's what I did because I understood, again, from this passage, I did not want to let the sun go down on my anger. See, that, that warning is there to help us to understand, listen, when you, when you get angry, you need to get it right as soon as you can. Because when you don't, what happens? You allow bitterness. Now that anger becomes bitterness in your heart. And then it gets entrenched in your heart, and then it gets harder to get it out of there. Then sometimes God has to do a little bit more surgery on you. So you don't, we, do, we don't want that to happen. We want to voluntarily let go of it. And we want to voluntarily ask for God's help and not give the devil an opportunity. Because when we do that, we're, we're playing right into the enemy's hands. It's like he's saying, yeah, yeah, you, you deserve to be angry. You shouldn't, they shouldn't be doing that to you, right? Have you ever had those thoughts? We all have, haven't we? Allowing anger to fester in our hearts allows the enemy to tempt us to more anger, more bitterness, more wrath. So number three, stealing or hard work. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Here's a very troubling statistic. Shoplifting costs retailers about $50 billion a year. That's pretty shocking, isn't it? $50 billion a year of people going into shops and just taking something and walking out the door. Well, guess what? That's costing all of us money because the retailers aren't going to just take it on the chin. They're going to pass those costs to us. Stealing can also include things like tax evasion. Well, I really didn't make that much money, I think I'll just declare half of what I made. I, you know, after all, it's my money, right? Or not paying, if you have, maybe you're an employer, you're not paying your employees fairly. Maybe you want your employees to only get paid 40 hours, even if they work 45 hours or 50 hours. That's not right. That's wrong. If you're doing that, repent of that. Stop that. Or if you're an employee, Maybe you're wasting time at work. You know, we all have these little wonderful devices, right? And you're at work, and, well, you know what? It's kind of slow. I think I'll check my social media, see how, you know, how many likes I got here today. Right? I mean, we waste so much time doing Now, if you're at work and you're getting paid, are you getting paid to what? look at your social media? Probably not, unless you work for a social media company. Right? So that's another way that we can steal that God is looking on and say, no, that's not good. Um, Paul then contrasts this putting on with rather him, let him labor. 
doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So now Paul is reminding us that no longer stealing is good. Yeah, let's, don't steal anymore, but now work. Do honest work to support ourselves and our families and also that we may help those in need in our church and our community and our neighbors. So number four, rotten talk or wholesome talk. Again, one of our favorite verses in our family, verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Again, we have this putting off and putting on. Paul tells us, put off corrupt or unwholesome or evil talk or vulgar talk, dishonest talk, unkind talk, and yes, does it include cussing? What do you think? Yeah, yeah it includes cussing. Now, again, for us as Christians, maybe you're a new Christian, and you got saved, and you're excited, but your tongue hasn't gotten converted yet. <laughs> right? Sometimes, I wasn't a big cusser before, so it wasn't an issue. But I know for some, I've heard some people say, yeah, man, I just kind of, you know, every other word I let out is a cuss word. Let's ask God to help you with that. We don't want to have to be like Ralphie in a Christmas story. Y'all ever see a movie, A Christmas Story? Yeah? Yes? I, I, I actually saw the whole thing for the first time this year. I've always seen bits and pieces of it, but I saw the, the whole thing. And here's the young little Ralphie, our little hero of the, of the Christmas Story movie, and he's helping his dad, who has a flat tire. And his, his dad is, you know, going to change the tire, takes the nuts off the tire, and he's putting them in the, in the, and Ralphie's holding them, and something happens, and Ralphie, you know, loses all the nuts, and boom, here comes. You know, Ralphie's just like, you know, definitely not converted. So <laughs> Ralphie lets off a, a, a bad word, and his dad just kind of looks at him, and then the mom kind of looks at him. And then the next scene is here's Ralphie in the bathroom with a bar of soap literally stuck in his mouth. Now, I personally never experienced the bar of soap for bad language. Did anybody? Yeah, here we got, we got some bars of soap. Okay, over here, yeah, bars of soap. Did it help? No, it didn't help, did it? Did not really help. Um, Matter of fact, I guess Ralphie has a habit of bad words, and he's kind of describing, well, this soap is not too bad. I've had others that taste a little better. And so I guess this is a kind of a common experience for, for little Ralphie to have bars of soap stuck in his mouth. So, <laughs> yeah, no, bars of soap aren't going to change our language, okay? Um, we need the Holy Spirit's help, right? We need to pray and say, Lord, help me. I want to surrender now my tongue and my words to you. And I want my words to be these kind of words, kind and gracious words, words that build up and not tear down. This would also include what we write, especially on social media. Okay, I mean, gosh, I, I just, I mean, isn't there enough hate in this world without reading more hate on social media. I mean, I have one daughter who's like, man, I'm going to take a three-month 
off of social media. You know, just like tired of this stuff, which is probably a really good idea. We are to speak grace-filled words to one another and those we are working with, living with, and look for opportunities to build others up according to their needs. This is what our Lord and Savior does to us. He speaks words of love, grace, and mercy, and forgiveness, and compassion, and encouragement. In John 8, 3-11, we have this picture of Jesus in an interaction with a woman who was brought to him who was caught committing adultery. Have you ever noticed that they didn't bring the guy? I mean, I think it takes two to commit adultery, right? But again, these are the Pharisees. What is their goal? Their goal is to trap Jesus. They're thinking, now we've got him. Because the law says she should be stoned to death for committing adultery. So what does Jesus do? He says these words, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. What happens? One by one, they drop their stones and leave. Jesus turns to her and says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. Notice how she addresses Jesus. She recognizes who he is and says these words, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Now, these are words of grace to this woman. And this is how the Lord is calling us to give grace to one another in our speech. Number five, bitterness or compassion. Verse 31 says this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Here's a quote from Brian Chapel again. Occasionally you hear Christians struggle over whether they need to forgive if someone has sinned against them and has not yet repented or repented well enough. Yeah, they ask for forgiveness, but I don't really think, you know, they did it well enough. I don't think they really meant it. I, don't think, I didn't see any tears coming down their face. The problem with such an approach is that it confuses pardon and forgiveness in the context of putting malice aside. Quote, get rid of every form of malice, forgiving each other. One does not have to remove all consequences for sin. For example, to pardon in order to forgive. I think that's really good. I really like that. I'll tell you a story. I once had an employee who embezzled $13,000 from my company. It was definitely a very disappointing thing, as this was a trusted employee, and I was really upset about it. As you could imagine, 
This was somebody who I cared about deeply. And when I found out about it, I was ready to throw the book out. I wanted to call the police. I wanted to see that person go to jail. And I remember I went home and I started praying about it. And of course, the Lord and his kindness reminded me of this truth. How much have I forgiven you? I have forgiven you so much more than this. You were to forgive this person. I remember calling this person and saying, I would like to have coffee with him. The next day was Saturday, and so we met for coffee. And God in his kindness had already been working on this person's heart because I wasn't quite sure how I was going to confront them. But this person came and confessed what they had done. And as they confessed it, I looked at him, I said, I forgive you. And this person said, what? I said, I forgive you. And he just, he shook his head and, wow, why? Why would you forgive me? And I explained to him, because God has forgiven me so much more than this. So that's why I can say I forgive you, because I do. So that was God's mercy. That was the pardon. But I also said, but I want you to pay this money back. So that was the consequence. That was the consequence of that person's action. I wasn't calling the police. I wasn't reporting them. I wasn't going to try to destroy their life, which is what I wanted to do originally. But I was going to extend forgiveness. And this person did pay the money back. The challenge for us can be to not respond according to our feelings and our flesh. That is why Paul reminds us, quote, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. So notice this progression, bitterness, and then wrath, anger, and clamor. You know what clamor is? Clamor is like when you're in a riot with a bunch of people, and you're just yelling and you're screaming at people. And maybe you don't even know why you're People are yelling and screaming at each other. But now it's just out of control. See, that's what happens with us when we don't get this under control by God's grace. Bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander happens when we decide to not release the offense or sin committed against us. Each one of these is an escalation of unforgiveness. Brian Chapel again says this. Listen, forgiveness brings healing. It allows the other person a chance to start life afresh. If I have something against you and I forgive you, the bitterness leaves me. Forgiveness liberates both the forgiver and the forgiven. Oh, I think that is so good. Forgiveness liberates both the forgiver and the forgiven. This is why, because God created us. God knows our, our makeup. He knows how we're wired. And he says, forgive. Don't hang on to it. 
it will bring healing to your heart. And it will bring healing to that other person as well. That's why Jesus came to forgive us. The parable of the unforgiving servant illustrates what happens when we don't forgive. Matthew 18, 21 through 35. The servant was called to settle accounts with the king, and he owed the king 10,000 talents, an amount that was impossible to pay. For us, it would be as if we owed a trillion dollars. Any way we could do, any of us could pay that? Never. Not in a million years could we pay back a trillion dollars. So what did the servant do? He begs the king to have patience with him, and he would pay him what he owed. The king, out of pity for him, released him and forgave the debt he owed. And this is an incredible picture of God's forgiveness. Now, that servant who had had been forgiven this enormous debt found a fellow servant that owed him a hundred denarii. And what did he do? He began to choke him and said, Pay what you owe me. The servant pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. His fellow servants went and told the king and he said to him, quote, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Wow. I mean, what a reminder to us. We do not want to be like this wicked servant. We want to be like the king who forgave the debt. As I talked about at the beginning of this message, putting on these new clothes does not save us. The gospel of grace, of Jesus' life and death and his resurrection, that saves us. We cannot put these new clothes on without the grace of God working in our lives and transforming us from inside out. So if you are in Christ, say, Lord, I want to put these clothes on. By your grace, I want to be conformed to look more and more like this description. If you are here and you're thinking, yeah, I'm not a Christian, but I I like what you're saying. I'd like to be living like this. But I don't, I can't. You're right. You are in need of a new life and a new heart that comes from believing in Jesus and accepting the gift of salvation. It's a gift he purchased for you. You cannot earn it. You cannot be good enough to deserve it. But you can do this. You can turn away from the way you've been living. And you can turn to Jesus and pray for mercy like the servant. And receive the forgiveness of your debt which is impossible for you to pay, the debt of your sin. And like the servant, do what he did. Ask God for mercy. And he will extend his mercy to you because he loves you.
So we are now going to transition to communion. So if you can get your little communion ready. Our communion is for any and all who have put their faith and trust in Jesus alone for their salvation. If you are a Christian, then this is for you. If you are not a Christian yet, then we invite you to listen and to watch. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four through 26 says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take and eat this bread. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink this cup together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for sacrificing your body, pouring out your blood for the forgiveness of our sins. We pray that as we start this new year, you would pour out your grace and spirit on us, that we might glorify you and the gospel by the new life and the new clothes that you give us as a witness to the world of what you have done for us. Amen.